Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96 Comcast Xfinity and Channel 30 Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. And now on to the talking news. Big plans in store at Watertown's Arsenal Yards by Angela Toma. With the coming of the new year, residents can look forward to the opening of some new shops and eateries nearby at Arsenal Yards in Watertown. Arsenal Yards is a mixed-use development located at the former uh, Arsenal Mall site. The development consists of more than a million square feet and will be comprised of shops, eateries, office space, 425 residences, fitness services, a Hilton hotel, a green space, and a bike path. There will be 40 tenants in total. The Wilder Companies and Boylston Properties are the developers. Finding the right tenants for Arsenal Yards is a challenge, according to Boylston Properties Principal Bill McQuillan. The developers are looking for tenants who fit two needs. First, they have to keep the banks happy. What this means, McQuillan said, is prospective retailers must meet a certain credit worthiness and have a record of reliability and longevity. The trick is to attract tenants who are also new, fresh, and interesting and provide consumers with a reason to look up from their screens and to go out shopping. The retail business is very challenging. In this world of e-commerce, we have to work very hard to find the right people in the right stores, McQuillan said. Our job is to create a mix of people who satisfy the banks, who have lent us a lot of money, as well as satisfy the customer who is going to make the property and the project a success. So far, there are 13 confirmed tenants, including City Works Eatery and Poorhouse, Condesa Restaurante Mexicano, European Wax Center, Gap Outlet, Hampton by Hilton, Marshalls, Old Navy, Pokey Works, Roach Brothers, Shake Shack, T-Mobile, the Majestic at Arsenal Malls, at Arsenal Yards, excuse me, and Ultra. McQuillan said representatives in charge of leasing for both Boylston and Wilder are out all the time taking uh, talking to potential candidates and trying to figure out who the right, right folks are for the development. According to McQuillan, Arsenal Yards is hoping to bring as many local tenants as possible. While we have great respect for national and regional retailers, we hope to curate local retailers and restaurants into the property, he said. So far, McQuillan believes their request for local retailers has been successful. He mentioned both Roach Brothers and Condesa Restaurante Mexicano as, an exa- as examples. Roach Brothers is a local chain of supermarkets headquartered in Wellesley. Locals Ed and Rick Roach co-own the company. Currently, they operate 20 stores throughout Greater Boston, Metro West, and Southern Massachusetts. And over to my colleague, Claire. Thank you, Bob. 
North Indian Cuisine comes to Belmont. Spice Delight will be located at 63 Concord Ave by Rachel Kelly. Spice Delight, featuring North Indian Cuisine, is now officially open under the leadership of owner Rusty Gill and his business partners Rahul Baga, Rajubir Singh, and Tony Padam. The restaurant is located at 63 Concord Ave occupying the space where Chinese restaurant Golden Garden closed in late 2017. Spice Delight's menu, created by executive chef Singh, features items inspired by the cuisine of Punjab, where the men grew up. Baga said that North Indian dishes such as chicken tikka and kebabs are often based on meats and breads instead of rice and lentils. Gill said that the restaurant projects a simple elegance with its clean, modern style and traditional Indian instrumental music playing in the background. The food is going to be nice, of course, but there is a lot more to this experience than just the food, he said. He said that he hopes that the close relationship he has with his partners extends to the guests of the restaurant. I don't really run this like it's a business, but more like a family. That's what my approach to life in general is, based on, he said. Gill first entered the food industry selling wholesale pizzas to New England schools after leaving his job pricing mutual funds at State Street in the early 1990s. He owned another restaurant, Zaika, Taste of India, in Medford until just last year when a Wegmans supermarket moved in taking over the space. Padam, who was Gill's college roommate, said that he hopes to target Spice Delight's marketing strategies and social media posts to the interests of the people in and around Belmont to make guests feel personally connected to the restaurant. We want people in here to be looking less at their phones and instead to be having conversations with their families and also with the staff, he said. Padam said that the restaurant's management will be posting on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to engage with customers. Gill said that he wants the staff at Spice Delight to be authentically happy to promote a welcoming energy in the restaurant. There are a lot of places with decent food, but it's the atmosphere which makes you want to keep coming back, he said. Spice Delight is open Monday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. and Sundays from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Now over to Max. Thanks, Claire. Potential race for selectment seat. Two prospective candidates, town meeting member Jesse Bennett and Warrant Committee Chairman Roy Epstein, pulled papers for the seat by Joanna Cates of Ellis. Once the news of Mark Paolillo not running for re-election to a fourth term for the board on the board of selectmen broke. Within a few days, two prospective candidates pulled papers for the seat. Town meeting member Jesse Bennett pulled papers on January 9th, and Warrant Committee Chairman Roy Epstein pulled papers January 11th. To be nominated, each candidate must collect signatures from at least 50 registered voters of the town to be certified by the town clerk. At press time, neither candidate turned in their nomination papers. About Jesse Bennett. Jesse Bennett, town meeting member, Precinct 1, pulled papers on January 9th for the selectment seat. 
Bennett is the first woman to consider running since Alexandra Rubin ran against Selectman Vice Chairman Mark Paulillo in the 2016. Paulillo recently announced he will not seek re-election to a fourth term. Bennett has lived in Belmont with her wife Stephanie Burt for 11 years and their two children ages 13 and 8 who attend the public schools in Belmont. In addition to her experience with town meeting, she is a member of the high school traffic working group Burbank PTA, Chenery PTO, part of the Townwide Safe Routes to School group, a board member of the Foundation for Belmont Education and the Belmont After School Enrichment Collaborative, BASEC. Bennett also was also recently appointed to the Transportation Advisory Committee. Burnett was also part of the steering committee for the Yes for Belmont 7 to 12 campaign and the 2015 override campaign. This is something I feel drawn to, said Bennett. When we were trying to hammer out thorny issues like trash, trash, thing, trash issues and traffic problems, we need to be approaching it with intellectual curiosity and rigor and a readiness to engage. I hope that those are some of the qualities I'll bring to it if I'm chosen for the job. She said her work on the marketing side of the override and debt exclusion campaigns helped her get to know the issues inside out and upside down. I had to be ready to engage with people in person and online about their concerns and questions. I realized that to gain an in-depth understanding of town issues, you need to be willing to have your butt in a chair during a meeting, to dig for the right reports and to reach out and ask questions. Town issues, she said, is that she is most concerned with about currently are traffic and communication. She believes the current board has made a lot of progress and hopes to keep the momentum going. We are at a moment ripe with possibility. We need to be really thoughtful about what our next steps are. Bennett said she wants to be a part of leading policy changes needed to help with the traffic situation and infrastructure. She also wants to be part of addressing other infrastructure issues in town that are so important and, are, and is very focused on the quality of life issues. Bennett said she grew up in a working-class family and understands how tight money can get. I want to make sure Belmont remains a community that's affordable for a wide swath of people and a place where people feel welcome and valued, she said. Her professional experience is in nonprofits. She was in the marketing department of Beacon Press for six years and prior to that helped run a literary magazine and book festival in Minnesota. She currently freelances as a web designer and social media consultant. I try to approach everything with an open mind and rigor and dig in. I try to get under what gloss people are putting on an issue and try to see what's really going on, said Bennett. She considers herself a pragmatic progressive who knows how to talk to people, listen to people, and think for herself. I hope that serves me well. The reality is I respect we all have different views. We all have to work together on the things that really matter, said Bennett. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Another candidate for the position, Roy Epstein, in addition to serving on the Warren Committee since 2007 and as its chairman for the past three years, Epstein has been a town meeting member, Precinct 6, for more than 10 years. He also serves on the Public Works Police Department Building Committee, Community Path Project Committee, and Belmont Light Board Advisory Committee. His history of service to the town he has lived in for 24 years, 
also includes being a member of the Major Capital Projects Working Group, Municipal Light Temporary Net Metering Working Group as the Chairman, Town Administrator Search Committee and Town Accounted Search Committee, and Belmont Light Substation Site Committee. Epstein said that he has been thinking about running for the past few years. It's a big step, he said. The hours are long and the pay is low, and it's a big responsibility. Epstein would have supported Paolilio if he had run again. Had Ma continued, I would have been delighted, he said. He said he also supported Selectman Tom Caputo, who ran uncontested last year. There's a long list of big questions that are on the horizon. Just to start with, the high school, DPW, police station, community path, are building projects that need to be completed, and they need to be completed well because they involve a huge amount of money and they will have a huge effect, said Epstein. In addition to these projects, he said there's a very long list ranging from school to capital projects to town budget and much more. I feel a more than maybe almost anybody right now has been involved in so many of these areas that I thought it would be irresponsible not to at least try, said Epstein. He's, he feels gratified by the support that he has received so far from people he has told about his decision to run. I think the town is better off with a contested race. There's been a problem attracting candidates even for town meeting, and I think it's unfortunate. The candidates are better in a contested race, he said. Epstein works as an economic consultant in complex commercial litigation and as an adjutant professor of finance at Boston College. He became a town meeting member in 2003 and joined the Warrant Committee a few years later because he was impressed at how town meeting looked to the Warrant Committee for guidance when a significant question came up. Epstein and his wife Joanna raised their two sons, Martin and Jacob, in Belmont, who both attended the public schools. He received his Bachelor of Arts degree in economics from Wesleyan University and his PhD in economics from Yale University. And now over to my colleague, Claire. Thanks, Bob. Justice remains unserved. Special report, Criminals Run Free While Authorities Drown in Open Arrest Warrants by Mike Wagner, Doug Caruso, Daphne Chen, John Futy, and Eli Sherman. Editor's note, this is first of a two-part series. Millions of Americans are wanted on criminal arrest warrants, including hundreds of thousands accused of murder, rape, robbery, or assault, while victims wait for justice. In Massachusetts, there are more than 390,000 open warrants. Many cases stay open for years, even decades, often forgotten as law enforcers and judges struggle to keep up with new warrants filed in courthouses across the nation each day. An investigation by Wicked Local, Gatehouse Media, and the Columbus Dispatch found more than 5.7 million cases in 27 states with open arrest warrants, enough to lock up 83.1% of all Massachusetts residents. Reported records from all 50 states, but 23 did not provide usable data. Among those warrants, reporters identified nearly 240,000 cases involving violence. 
a weapon, or sexual misconduct, enough to fill every state prison cell in Texas, Michigan, and Virginia. Most jurisdictions around the nation are doing nothing with warrants like this. Nothing, said David Kennedy, professor of criminal justice at John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York City and director of the college's National Network for Safe Communities. The warrants pile up. As of August 20th, 2018, open warrants in Massachusetts accumulated to 390,383, dating back to 1970, according to data compiled by the Mass Executive Office of the Trial Court. The data was provided in response to a public records request by Wicked Local. As warrants are issued, the majority are closed, but a number remain open for various reasons, such as individuals are in jail, have not been apprehended, have been deported, have moved out of state, or are currently incarcerated out of state, wrote Court Administrator Jonathan S. Williams in a response to the record's request. Citing undue burden or expense, Massachusetts would not break down the warrants by original offense, or provide any biographic information about the accused. Without the charges, it's impossible to separate which Massachusetts warrants are related to violent charges. Interviews with judges, attorneys, and law enforcement officials from across Massachusetts show a large portion of the unserved warrants stem from minor offenses, such as not paying a parking ticket. Warrants cross socioeconomic levels, but disproportionately affect poorer communities and racial and ethnic minorities. Open warrants have been a problem in the Massachusetts court system for decades, explained retired Judge Raymond Dugan, who served as an associate justice at Boston Municipal Court from 1991 to 2014. Paths to a warrant. Authorities issued a warrant when they have evidence someone committed a crime but haven't yet located or arrested the suspect. Many people face warrants because they were charged with a crime or even given a traffic ticket, but didn't appear for a court date. Others were convicted but violated their probation. Most people, especially those wanted for minor offenses, remain free as long as they don't cross paths with law enforcement. People are stunned when they're stopped for a traffic ticket and then taken into custody said Peter Alec Kahn, a Massachusetts defense attorney. If you're arrested on a Friday evening and court doesn't open till Monday, you could be sitting in lockup for three days. Overall, records collected by Gatehouse Media showed one case with an open arrest warrant for every 32 people in the state providing data. In Massachusetts, the number totaled about one warrant for every 17 people. Now here's Max. Thank you, Claire. Follow, continuing with the same story, waiting for justice. Police since August 2017 have been looking for Cornell Bell, suspected of killing Michelle Clark of Weymouth. The 33-year-old mother who had dated Bell in the past shared a son with Andley Cribb, who was hopeful an arrest would be made. I'm not giving up, he said. I'm hopeful something will come up and justice will be served, but I honestly don't think that will happen. It just doesn't seem like much is happening. 
Bell was wanted on outstanding warrants for other violent crimes at the time he is suspected to have killed Clark. The search continues, but Cribb says it feels to him like the effort to find Bell has deteriorated. Those responsible for serving warrants in Massachusetts law enforcement agencies often are drowning in other duties, taking time away from tracking down offenders, and new cases with fresher leads come into police departments every day. Law enforcement agencies say they try to prioritize cases, but it's easy for some to fall through the cracks if warrants aren't served in the first few days or weeks. When judges issue bench warrants for probation violators or for those who failed to appear in court, police often don't know about it. Judges are buried under their own caseloads and rarely have time to pick up the phone to call detectives on individual cases. Judges may have a hundred cases called in the course of a day, Dugan said. It's very unlikely that judges sitting in sessions day after day are going to remember all the stuff that comes up. And while many open warrants are related to nonviolent offenses, serving warrants can be dangerous. In 2017, brain-free police officer Donald Delaney was wounded trying to serve a restraining order to a Boston man who had an, an active warrant for domestic assault and battery, kidnapping and threatening to commit a crime. Delaney lived. A year later, Yarmouth police officer Sean Gannon, a 32-year-old K-9 officer, was killed trying to serve a warrant in Barnstable. Stanford Graham was shot and killed in Worcester in 2002 after an argument with two other men. According to a report by the Worcester Telegram and Gazette, a wicked local sister publication, suspected killer and New York City native Omar Nunes fled along with his father Calvin Nunes after the fatal confrontation. The father was caught in 2006 and convicted of voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to 15 to 20 years in prison, according to the TNG. Omar Nunez was never found, and an open murder warrant is still waiting for him in Worcester Superior Court. Law enforcement officers across the nation say the best window to catch a fugitive is within the few, first few days of the arrest warrant being filed. Judges, police, lawyers, and reformers use words like flood and fire hose to describe the torrent of warrants. The courts are overwhelmed, the police are overwhelmed, that's the way it is, said Sergeant Joseph Escugino of the Waltham Police Department. It's tough to find the time for some of the, these warrants or cold cases because police work is non-stop. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Belmont's town administrator reflects on past year by Joanna K. Zavallis. One year ago, on January the 16th, Patrice Garvin became Belmont's first female town administrator. Within her first week on the job, she saw opportunities for grants and she was able to enter Belmont into a community compact uh, agreement with the state. A total of $30,000 from the program is being used for comprehensive financial planning and long-term financial planning. Accomplishments in Garvin's first year include finding a new home for the Belmont Food Pantry inside Town Hall, applying for a grant of up to $400,000 annually from the state to fix sidewalks and streets with the complete streets policy, applying for community preservation funds to design a community path, hiring assistant town administrator John Marshall, who will focus 90% of his time on the Recreation Department, reclassifying Budget Analyst Glenn Castro's position to Budget Director, 
helping start a Belmont school study group and reviewing non-union employees. Garvin was Shirley's town administrator for about four years before coming to Belmont. Her top priority in her new position was to listen before making any changes. I needed to get an understanding of how the town is run before making any significant impactful changes, she said. Another goal she had was to change the staff culture. She did this by implementing an open door policy with all department heads and planning events such as the Halloween trick-or-treat at Town Hall and an ugly sweater day for town employees. I want people to enjoy coming to work because they'll want to work. I'm trying to be more lighthearted and fun, said Garvin. Her goals for this new year include creating a capital improvement plan and working with the town's new financial task force on a plan to address structural deficits. She said there is, there is never a typical day. There are good days and bad. I like coming in knowing I'm going to make a difference to improve people's lives. That's what I've always wanted to do. I love serving the people of the town, said Garvin. Selectman Chairman Adam Dash said that he is impressed with Garvin's ability to obtain grants and state funding and her ability to work with people and come up with solutions, such as the new location for the Belmont Food Pantry. Her creativity and management style has allowed Belmont to move forward in 2018 at a staggering pace. Now that she has more familiarity with the town, we look forward to even better things in 2019 and beyond, wrote Dash in an email to the Citizen Herald. Uh, Selectman Vice Chairman Mark Paleolilio said uh, Garvin has had a positive impact on town affairs. She is smart, hardworking, and a talented town administrator. She approaches every issue in a thoughtful way and dedicates her efforts to finding a solution that is the best is that is in the best interests of our town. She is a very skilled she is a very skilled problem solver, wrote Peo Lilio in an email to the Citizen Herald. Selectman Tom Caputo and said Garvin has been a wonderful addition to the team at Town Hall. She's very effective at moving the town's priorities forward and has shown a real skill at identifying creative solutions to complex problems. Belmont is lucky to have her, wrote Caputo in an email to the Citizen Herald. Town Clerk Ellen O'Brien Cushman said Garvin has been a wonderful addition to the town, its residents, and its employees. In an email to the Citizen Herald, she wrote what Garvin has particularly brought to Belmont. She has created a general spirit of optimism and pride in working for the town of Belmont. She is very customer resident focused to provide a high level of customer service. She's skilled and interested in bringing separate parts or interests together to collaborate. She's very interested in moving projects and decisions forward, not letting them stagnate, wrote Cushman. Public Works Director Jay Marcotte said Garvin has been supportive in, uh, to his department, particularly with the new trash and recycling uh, contract, the new smart water meter program, and snow, ice, trees operations, and has made several recommendations that they have implemented to better serve the community. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Newcomer files papers for school committee. Peter 
Pantazopoulos filed nomination papers for the three-year school committee seat on January 14 by Joanna K. Zavellis. Peter Pantazopoulos filed nomination papers for the three-year school committee seat on January 14. Pantazopoulos has lived in Belmont for 18 years with his wife, Olga. They have a five-year-old son, Elias, at Wellington Elementary School and a one-year-old son, Evan. There will be two three-year and one one-year school committee positions on the town election ballot April 2nd. Incumbents Andrea Prestwich and Jill Norton have pulled papers. Prestwich said she plans to run for one of the three-year seats. Norton, who was appointed to the school committee to fill the seat vacated by Tom Caputo, who won the selectman seat last year, said she is unsure what seat she will run for. Pantanzopoulos currently works for, as a global portfolio manager for Apps Associates. He said he has been thinking about running for two years and believes his finance background would benefit the school committee. A lot of people have asked me since I have a finance background to run for school committee, he said. He frequently attends school committee meetings as a spectator. He said his work experience would allow him to feel comfortable challenging budget line items that he has the expertise needed to evaluate actual spending and budget forecasts. You need someone who is confident and has that knowledge and is fiscally responsible. I think that's what I can bring, he said. Pantanzopoulos said he is concerned about access to after-school care in Belmont. He wants all Belmont parents to have access and not have to rely on winning a lottery. He also said he believes there is the potential to create a revenue stream for Belmont by managing its own aftercare program. Pantanzopoulos said he voted in favor of the grade 7 to 12 school because he knows it will help solve the space issues as long as the older students are kept separate from the younger students. However, he is concerned about the open campus policy safety and security for students in the new building, as well as safety of students walking and biking to the new school. Now, here we go to Bob. Along with my colleagues, Claire and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings Around Belmont.